This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. We want to welcome our online listeners, and I want to welcome a new church uh, from the east coast of Africa in uh, Emmanuel, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of your church. I actually forgot the name of your country. But I uh, just wanted you to know that I do remember you this morning. You are in our prayers, and we thank you for joining our podcast. We are going to be talking about second-hand Christianity today. It's the first message of a series within the series that we're going to do on applying the principles of turkeys and eagles. So Janie shared this illustration with me out of a book she's written by Randy Alcorn. It's a book on heaven. And uh, both Jane and I were sitting on the swing last night. And uh, to be perfectly honest, brutally honest with you, Janie and I have been struggling this past week of wanting to go home to heaven. It's been a very, very difficult week for me and Jane, spiritually and psychologically and even physically. I've had enormous amount of heart symptoms. And um, God used all of that to really uh, have us grasp the true meaning and purpose of what it, it is he's taking us through. And so when she read me this illustration, she really had no clue of the details of what I was putting together for this message, which is actually now several weeks old that I've been compiling information for this message and it was just completely uh, proof in God's pudding that this is the message for today. I don't know who's supposed to hear this, where you're at in the world, whether it's someone here this morning or whether it is someone from afar, but I can tell you this, this message that you're going to hear this morning has been birthed through an enormous amount of pain. With that, I would like to have Janie come over here and share with you this illustration from Randy's book. Yeah, when I read this, I was taken aback because it challenged my traditional church attitude toward people getting saved. And so um, I just felt a, just an incredible stirring of the spirit and an incredible burden that I need to change the way I reach out to people with salvation. So, so this is taken from a chapter called Can You Know You're Going to Heaven? Ruth Anna Metzger, a professional singer, tells a story that illustrates the importance of having our names written in the book. Several years ago, she was asked to sing at the wedding of a very wealthy man. According to the invitation, the reception would be held on the top two floors of Seattle's Columbia Tower, the Northwest's tallest skyscraper. She and her husband Roy were excited about attending. At the reception, waiters in tuxedos offered luscious hors d'oeuvres and exotic beverages. The bride and groom approached a beautiful glass and brass staircase that led up to the top floor. Someone ceremoniously cut a satin ribbon draped across the bottom of the stairs. They announced the wedding feast was about to begin Bride and groom ascended the steps, followed by their guests. At the top of the stairs, a maitre d' with a bound book greeted the guests outside the doors. May I have your name, please? I am Ruthanna Metzger, and this is my husband, Roy. He searched the M's. 
I'm not finding it. Will you spell it, please? Ruthanna spelled her name slowly. After searching the book, the Mater D looked up and said, I'm sorry, but your name isn't here. There must be some mistake, Ruthanna replied. I'm the singer. I sang at the wedding. The gentleman answered, it doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Without your name in the book, you cannot attend the banquet. He motioned to a waiter and said, show these people to the service elevator, please. The Metzgers followed the waiter past beautifully decorated tables laden with shrimp, whole smoked salmon, and magnificent carved ice sculptures. Adjacent to the banquet area, an orchestra is preparing to perform, the musicians all dressed in dazzling white tuxedos. The waiter led Ruth Anna and Roy to the service elevator, ushered them in, and pushed G for parking garage. After locating their car and driving several miles in silence, Roy reached over and put his hand on Ruthanna's arm. Sweetheart, what happened? When the invitation arrived, I was busy, Ruthanna said. I never bothered to RSVP. Besides, I was the singer. Surely I could go to the reception without returning the RSVP. Ruthanna started to weep, not only because she had missed the most lavish banquet she'd ever been invited to, but also because she suddenly had a small taste of what it will be like someday for people as they stand before Christ and find that their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then he goes on to say, have you said yes to Christ's invitation to join him at the wedding feast? If you have been putting off your response, your RSVP, or if you presume you can enter heaven without responding to Christ's invitation one day, you will deeply regret it. And then the part that, that God really just stirred in my heart was that um, I think that we approach checking people's salvation wrong. Most of the time we say, um, do you know the date and did you pray the prayer? And if they say yes, we say, good, they're, they're in the list. And what God reminded me of was um, forgiveness is offered, but it's not automatic. And we need to recognize that we need to repent. And I think that is a huge um, omission when we um, present Christ and salvation to people. And um, I wrote this note um, in here. It says, if a man resists the activity of the Holy Spirit, he will be unconvicted of his sinfulness. If he is unconvicted, he won't repent. And then if you don't repent, how can you confess Christ? And so um, I, God gave me something for me, and I'm not saying it's for you, but he, instead of just saying, do you know the day when you prayed and whatever, it's more of a um, challenge to see if they understand what God did, not their response. Their response doesn't save them. What God did saves them. So if we don't clarify and make sure they understand what happened on the cross, they aren't necessarily saved. Ruthanna knew about the RSVP. She knew what it said. She actually did her job. She still couldn't get into the banquet. So we have thousands of Christians who know, who know about Christ, 
They know he died on the cross. They say, yes, they believe it, but they've never repented. They've never confessed their sins and received the gift of forgiveness. So um, my realization was that if we resist the spirit repeatedly, we turn hard, and that can develop a spiritual stronghold, and we can be deceived. So um, I guess what I'm saying is I would say now, I would ask people, do you believe that you are accepted by God forever because Christ paid the penalty for your sin once for all by his death on the cross? And if they said yes, then I would say, have you repented of your sins? And I wouldn't, I mean, I just think we accept a yes or a no or whatever. If they need to pray and, and work it out with the Lord, we need to help them do that. And so that's the only way to understand the indwelling life of Christ, the exchange life where our dead spirit is quickened and come alive with the Holy Spirit. So um, anyway, I just said to Steve, I got to read this, honey. <laughs> I had no idea what, what the sermon was, but it was very encouraging to me and very challenging because I am not a forward person. I don't generally get into the crevices of people's lives. So anyway, God challenged me that, you know, we are living in the last days and there are, you know, right is being called wrong and wrong is being called right and it's a challenge to do the right thing. And so, um, anyway, thanks for listening. <laughs> Father, I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit that whoever is going to be listening today to the challenges that you are giving us, I just pray, Father God, that they would uh, receive the word that can and will transform their lives. And I pray, God, for even those that are possibly listening, that this is actually the time that you've chosen for them for salvation. I pray that the enemy would be bound up and kept away from any work of the Holy Spirit inside the minds and hearts of the listeners. And I pray this even for myself. God, you already know how much I learn by preaching, let alone by listening and allowing you to do the preaching through me. And that's what I pray for today in Jesus' name. Amen. I will not surrender. For those of you who are joining us on the podcast, if you go to iomamerica.org and go to the media library page, you can access this, uh, the audio of this message and the note content. So some of you may be listening just through the audio, but the notes are available in our media library. So this slide says, I will not surrender. You may have made a profession of faith. You may have considered yourself Christian. And others may assume you are Christian. But the truth being said, unless you have waved the, the white flag of surrender to Christ, you most likely may not be an indwelt Christian. I personally believe that the greatest deception that is in the church and around the church today is the term Christian. You can ask 
your average American, if they're Christian, and because they're American, they will say, I am a Christian. That same 90% will say that America is a Christian nation under God. These are not truths from God. There's only one nation that is truly indwelt Christian. And that is the nation that God calls his body. The nation of the true Israel. The nation of the true mother country. This is the only nation in the world, past, present, and for eternity, that can actually claim, I am a Christian nation. Any other nation that claims that is of deception. And the reason why that we have so many deceived people in America who are caught up in this deception is because they think they're American. And American means you are Christian. But if you actually look up the original term that is used for Christian very early on in Latin, very early on even in the even though it's not a term that is used in the Greek very much, if you look at some of the original definitions from a long time ago, it is a group or an individual that is following Christ. Well, I'm here to announce to the listeners today that just because you're a Christ follower does not mean that you are a Jesus Christ follower. Christ means Messiah. There's many false messiahs, past, present, and in the future. So to be a Christ follower is not an impressive term to God. There are thousands and millions of Christ followers through the generations, and they are as, as dead as a doorknob. And they're going to hell. There's another group of Christians that are pretty good at following Jesus Christ's terminology or concepts or principles, but they're still going to hell. They're not in the book. But they're doing all the right things. And that's the group that when we address them, they find it very difficult to listen to preachers that, that say, if you do not have the indwelling life of Christ, you're going to hell. They don't even want to hear that kind of terminology anymore. It's well beyond hellfire and damnation. It's beyond that. To rightly separate the goats from the sheep nowadays is so unpopular that if you do it, you're considered now the heretic. To not be a heretic in the church today, you have to preach a very ear-tickling gospel that Jesus loves everyone and the sins in which you commit, like homosexuality. That's one of the big cultural fights that are going on today. That's what's happened to our church. Here is our theme for today. People with pride classically believe they are Christian because they do nice things and are helpful. This sounds so American and it almost makes me sick. 
The problem is they're doing is mostly an attempt to prove something that they don't have. True salvation. You see, they're trying to actually prove they are saved by the things that they do. Does this like sound familiar with our turkeys and eagles story? Just practice. Just get up every morning and read your Bible. Just, just make sure you pray at the supper table. Make sure you treat your brother and sister kindly. Make sure you... We literally train up our children today to be this. When in reality, children need to be trained up to understand that they're actually going to hell unless they receive the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. But you don't hear that in parenting today because pop psychology has infiltrated the church to the degree that you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings with the truth. And that's our church. Don't hurt anyone's feelings. Well, I'm here to tell you, I am glad that Pastor Reverend Ayers hurt my feelings when he told me the gospel when I was 16 years of age. When he said, Stephen, it doesn't matter how good or bad you are, you are going to hell without the life of Jesus Christ. I'm glad someone was honest enough to hurt my feelings with the truth. Humble people, or people of humility and brokenness, recognize the foolishness and futility of further resistance and choose to believe and obey the indwelling life of Jesus. We must stop using the term Christ alone. You must get in the habit of attaching Jesus Christ to Christ. It is Jesus the Messiah. Because there are plenty of antichrists that are going to come in such, such a fashion that it's going to be very difficult to discern them out. But they're using the term Christ, but they're not using the terms Jesus Christ. Some of you know I've had several dialogues recently with the president of, of a Christian college. And he would not use the word, name, title, Jesus when he spoke of Christianity. And I asked him why he would not. And his response was, I am a believer of spiritual formation, where you let the students pick their own religious beliefs. And I said, do you realize that turning students into Christ followers does not turn them toward Jesus Christ? He wouldn't discuss it with me. This is a man with a couple PhDs, and I'm not sure what, but it certainly is not helping him solidify the foundation of true salvation and leading people to Jesus, the Christ. Please, from this day forward, use Jesus, the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Jesus, the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the one. 
We must get in the habit of doing this. And that's why I do not use the term Christian anymore. I use the term indwelt Christian. Because it's Christ in you, through you. Instead of just being a follower. Which seems to work for just about any religion nowadays. Points of surrender. Here we go. I think you've seen this chart before. But as a review, plus you'll be seeing it probably many times here in the near future, is the straight line that goes from birth all the way through the cross in walking after the Spirit is really your ideal Christian experience to receive the indwelling and your walk. There's a few that live that, that, that type of walk. Not many. But they come to the uh, cross here. There we go. They come to the cross. They have salvation. They walk after the Spirit. They uh, either experience the identification with Christ here. Or maybe they experience the identification of, of the cross here. But the point is, is they become indwelt and they walk after the Spirit that day forward. It's not a perfect life. It is they are absorbing the perfection of Christ. Then there are those who come along here and they see the cross quickly approaching. And they go around the Christian experience. These type don't attend church. They don't. They're not interested in people discussing the life of Jesus Christ and they'll, they'll openly tell you about it. They're unsaved, and they know it. Some of them are atheists. Some of them are agnostic. Some of them could care less what they are, which is what most of them are. But God still uses them, and he brings them to the cross. Then there are those who come along. They have an encounter. They, they taste of the Holy Spirit, and they're, they're, it could be because they're hanging out in church or their, their best friend is a Christian or their spouse is a Christian. They're just experiencing the power elements of the Holy Spirit. They don't go through the cross. They wrap themselves in the experience of the cross, but they never truly become indwelt because there's no true repentance. As we know... And I have not heard not one denomination who believes in salvation not preach repentance. But it's interesting that there are three primary Bible translations that have removed the term repentance. T-N-I-V, for some of my listeners who like that translation, is one of them, and you know it. They've removed that word repentance. And it's the number one thing that is required in order to get through the cross. So now we come up here, they go around, but they don't reject the cross. They absorb the truths and principles of the cross, but they do not inherit the life of Christ. These are called Laodiceans, lukewarm Christians, Christ followers. They're the toughest group to minister the gospel to because they are convinced without question that they are saved. And they're not. 
They're singing at the wedding. They're teaching Sunday school. They're serving the meals. They are serving, serving, serving. Some of them cast out demons. Some of them preach. Remember what Jesus said? He had this dialogue with one of them, and the, and the guy said, Well, I, I preached in your name. I casted out demons in your name. I performed miracles in your name, was one translation. And Jesus looks at him and says, Well, thank God. I was wondering. No. He said, Be gone from me, for I know you not. See, none of that is proof to God. There, there's no, I don't care if someone comes and says, look at the things I did in South America. Look at the things. That means nothing to me. The only thing that means something to me is if they survive the four proofs that the scriptures give us of salvation, which we're going to be talking about in the next few sermons. You shall know them by their one, two, three, four, and you are, if you're missing one of them, you're out. And this is real hardcore stuff because we're not judging if someone is saved or not. What we're actually doing is discerning out so we can help minister to the gospel to them and not assume they're going to heaven because they prayed a prayer at seven years of age could be one of the greatest deceptions Satan has thrown at the church. Pray this prayer. Take this track home with you and pray this prayer. What, so you can get your ticket in your back pocket? I wonder how many pe people are going to pull out that ticket and say, well, when I was seven years of age, I, I prayed that prayer. I preached after that. I casted out demons after that. I did miracles after that. And Jesus is probably going to say, that's the problem, you did it. And it wasn't Christ in you. It wasn't Christ's mind through you. It wasn't Christ's efforts through you. I don't even have my own faith. Do you understand that? I don't have any faith. When I don't allow the faith of Christ in me to do what it's supposed to do, I fail. Right on the spot. The Laodicean Christians are the toughest to reach, and that's why I believe they're the closest to hell on earth. Whereas the unsaved, you can just approach them and say, you, you, you do realize you're going to hell if you don't receive Christ. That, well, that's what I've been told. They oftentimes can be reached on their deathbed. But you know, someone who, who thinks they've got their ticket in their pocket, which are the majority, the word says, those are the ones we need to be praying for, desperately. Then you have this other category where they get saved, they're going along walking after the Spirit, something happens in their life and they go into a downward spiral. They're true Christians but walking after the flesh. They don't understand their identity in Christ, so they have to be brought back to the cross to understand who they are in Christ, so therefore they walk after the Spirit afterwards. Second-hand Christianity, what is it? Someone want to read the top line for us? Second-hand Christianity, what is it? Second-hand Christianity, Second Christianity is the most common and well-thought-out deception of Satan. Second-hand Christianity is the most common and well-thought-out deception of Satan. 
I mean, can, seriously, can you think of something that would be more deceptive? I, I can't. So how do you form someone's mind to thinking that they are saved but they're not saved? It's through a thing called effort and works. But the only thing that I watch for is a lack of repentance and brokenness. That is our series, The Art of Brokenness. Believe me, if it was a life of perfection, then that deception would work with absolutely everyone that walked the face of the earth. But that's not the deception. The deception is to get you to think you have something that you really don't have. It's kind of like assuming you're going to get the inheritance from your father and your mother and they die and you get to the attorney's office and, and you uh, figure out because of the brokenness of relationship you were actually denied the inheritance of your parents. That, that's kind of the illustration. You just assume you're going to get to heaven because you've kind of been there in the church and done the right things. But when you die and you go to get your inheritance, you realize you were never in the will. So it is best described as a good-willed person who is manipulated into praying a particular salvation prayer, typically in their youth, they grow up under the influence of other true indwelt Christians and began practicing the observed Christian behaviors of others, but behind the scene they continued to mirror behaviors that reflect an unsaved person. They oftentimes have strong associations with indwelt Christians, sometimes marry one, in order to experience the ongoing love, security, and safety of the true indwelling life of Christ living in their loved ones. The evidence of, of their lack of salvation is usually found in a lifestyle when away from their loved ones who are the real deal, the true indwelt Christians. And that's how you find it. The way they are around indwelt Christians and the way they are when they are not. That's how you find it. So that only God gets to see. God's the only one that can be the judge on this one. We have to assume everyone is right, correct by what they say, but it is actually what God is observing in the souls of the person. So this is how the indwell live by faith. Conviction of sin... If it is before salvation to have the person not respond to conviction, well, they're going to miss the boat. If they're saved, truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and they become callous to conviction, they will not live out their repentant life, surrender, and identification in Christ. They become a Christian who consistently walks after the flesh. But here is the ideals that they come under conviction of sin, they repent, over here repent, they surrender and identify with Christ all at one time. It'd be ideal for new indwelt Christians to experience this. It's rare, but it'd be nice. That is salvation through repentance, surrender, 
and identification all at one moment. Now they get it all at one moment, but most people walk away and they do this, this um, performing for Jesus and they have to be brought back to the cross of identification later. So they can say, it's not I, but it's Christ. Now shadow livers, or living, you have the true indwelt person who has the life of Christ. They're blessed, chosen, holy, blameless, loved, adopted, accepted, redeemed, and forgiven. That is out of the list that is given, given to us in Ephesians. The shadow person who is oftentimes exaggerates themselves to be much bigger than the actual indwelt person. In other words, they're arrogant, because that's what arrogance is, is it magnifies the original image. Can you imagine trying to magnify the image of Christ, the humility of Christ? Well, it's what they do. And that's why they have to wear gold necklaces and fancy watch watches and fancy cars and you know you see a lot of that in the church today where you actually see the ministers of the gospel who are preaching casting out demons and doing all this fancy stuff from a gold-plated chair they're magnifying the very image of Christ that is the greatest sin known to mankind that's what Satan tried to do originally in heaven is magnify the image of Christ so he wanted to be the Christ the Messiah and he tries it one more time as we know they use behavior modification they use behavior modification with their children with their friends with their family member everything's behavioral mod it's if I do this I'll get this result if I avoid doing this I avoid these consequences that's all they got is animal instincts. Lives by behavior modification, guilts others through behavior modification, and acts Christian when around Christians. Therefore, if you ever confront them about areas that they need to repent in, they have all the right answers. But they don't necessarily have the life that sustains it. So second-hand Christianity puts the focus on me, self-rule, and therefore, when all these things that are in their lives come in, they are being influenced by these things. So that's why they need the gold watches, and they need the necklaces, and they need to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to drive a certain way, to have certain possessions, is because this is evidence they are managed by external gods. It's me, 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 and if you go up and tug on any of those items and you get a reaction, that is evidence that they are externally driven by an external God and that is not Christ's life within you. It's evidence of what we're saying. Then when you confront them, they do doing, 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 doing. More Bible studies, more showing up to help someone more. Whatever. They show evidence by doing, not by being in Christ. Conviction of sin to the cross. They have salvation. That can only happen through repentance. 
They grow in grace. They hit the point of surrender. God reminds them, you can't do this unless you wave the white flag. They start realizing, oh wow, I need to fix the fix that God's got fixed on me to get me fixed from always trying to fix others and myself. So they start slipping down. They try a little harder. They slip down again. They try a little harder. They slip down again. They try a little harder. They slip down again until they have surrender and identification at one time. You can try all you want, and you are a failure. You are a nothing. He who thinks he's something when he's nothing deceives himself. Galatians 6.3 You are nothing without Christ Jesus. So you watch for the effort, self-effort, trying to crawl back up this downward spiral. And then they experience the identification and surrender, start growing in grace. That's the difference, growing in grace. Not performance, not behavior modification, nothing but growing in grace. I am a failure, I am a nothing, I am a nobody. Paul said all three of those several times, probably more than got recorded. I am nothing, I am a failure, and I can do absolutely nothing without Jesus Christ. Now the downward spiral starts because God looks at this arrogant young person, old person, and says, Really? You're that strong? Well, let me start taking a few things away from you and see how strong you really are. Because the only way you can teach a fool is through his own foolishness. But only through the consequences of the foolishness. That's how a fool learns is through the consequences of his foolishness. So God does this downward spiral, and he gets down, and all of a sudden he realizes, I'm getting close to this death mark, so he starts to fix the fixes that God's got fixed on him to get him fixed from always fixing things. One of the friends of Peter Lord, the book Turkeys and Eagles, and myself, Jack Taylor, Southern Baptist preacher, I think he's retired. I don't think he's gone home to be with the Lord yet, but that was a phrase from him that he taught us when we were all rookies in this identification stuff, is how much time and effort we go through to fix fixes that God has actually got fixed on us. And that's doing drugs and alcohol, and I, can't, I can fix it, and I'll do behavior modification, I'll do self-help, I'll read another book, I'll, I'll do something to stop me from being sucked into that black hole. When in reality, that's where God wants you to be. It's like a kid who loves crawling up the slide backwards. You know how fun that is. I did it just the other day with one of my grandchildren. It's a lot of fun. It'd be like God just pouring about a five-gallon bucket of oil on that slide and say, now try it. You know, you know what? I'm arrogant enough in my flesh that I'd try it just to see if I can do it. That is human flesh. That's how stupid human flesh really is. So you have the self-life on the left column dropping us right into the, to the cross of identification. And over here, after all the roadblocks have been removed, through the power of the cross, we come out of that dark place 
we start spinning off and out into the life of Christ. Living and growing by grace. And that's when we deny self. We have daily cross-bearing. We worship and praise God instead of ourselves. We expect from God, not people, mature love, freedom spiritually, outreach to others, and ministry to others. And here is what a turkey who thinks they're an eagle does. This is a second-hand Christian. They start at the top. They go, okay, I'm, I have a ministry to people. Uh, I have this outreach, and I do miracles. I cast out demons, I preach, I, I, I do all that. And, and I'm spiritually free, well, most days. And I have a mature love until you make me mad. I expect you to join me in my expectations of God. So they're always expecting the people around them to change. And then they worship themselves. And they want other people to give them accolades, accolades and all of that. And then the daily cross-bearing, well, that's why they lift weights. And then finally, denying self, are you kidding? They need self in order to survive. So they go at it absolutely backwards. Humility, being a little less than human, is a requirement to be authenticated or authentic indwelt believer. Without humility, all forms of Christianity are mere replicas of the real deal. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events. And we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a bind, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.